And now, do you like Prince movies? Hey everybody, this is Do You Like Prince Movies? I'm Alex Papadimus. We are redoing this intro because I, I, I think maybe I'm not gonna I'm not gonna armchair psychoanalyze here, but I I, I think uh, Wesley, I feel like you you didn't want to have this conversation. <laughs> we got through an entire show, and I thought at some point I was like I, that we would we would we would get on it. We would get we'd sort of get there, but we had other things to talk about, and we do talk about other things. We will be talking about uh, the Emmy Awards and uh, Ryan Adams v. Taylor Swift's 1989, and a, a bunch of other things. The overnight uh, time out of mind where Richard Gere's homeless, but you know we should we, we should address. I think, and that's why I, that's why we're going back doing this again. The funky elephant in the room. Yeah. Well, it's not in the it's not in the room now. We're it's out. It's all, it's all it's, ru- it. it's running down. You know. Fifth okay, Avenue. so this is our second to last episode of this show. In this carnation, who knows what life will bring? It will be a, from a stage show <laughs> going forward, but. No I want Ryan Adams to cover this. <laughs> Ryan Adams will be covering this episode of the podcast, doing all the voices. Um, yeah, I'm. I'm. This is uh This is our second to last show. I'm. I. I am taking a job at the New York Times. Um, I'm very sad. That's all I'm going to say. I'm happy. I'm happy. I'm happy. But you know. I love the show. I love doing the show. I love Joe and Dave, and I've come to like Jim quite a lot. He's only been here a month. I mean, at least in our lives, for two months. Um, but he's wonderful. And then there's you. I mean, it's funny because I'm not saying... I think the, the people I'm saying goodbye to are not the people who make the show happen, but the people who listen to it. Um, but, you know, it's not like it's the end of podcasting as we know it at least as far as we're concerned. Um, and that's it. We're going to be together next week to do the final show. So I'm not going to be too sad about it. That one though, that <laughs> one's going to be brutal. Brutal. I am going to put you through it. Uh, we're going to talk about all kinds of, yeah. I, what are you going to put me through? There was no, there was a request. There was a request on the thing on the, on the, the there was through the social media transom. Somebody of not knowing that this was happening because I've known oh, about this Lord. for a while. I've had some time to live with this and process it, and you know, I'm cool. I'm, I'm reasonably cool with it. Um, but uh, somebody was somebody wanted the origin story. I just want to know actually how you. I I want to do it. I, I feel like it might be it might be very sad. It might be very painful. But I think it's you know. I mean, I've told the story so many times. How sad could it? Oh, you know, I've never told it sitting across from you. Maybe it will be very emotional. I that's, don't know. That's the thing. Oh my god! That's Jesus. the thing, man. Why do people want that? <laughs> no. <laughs> Haven't we had enough origin stories? Well, evidently not. Evidently, like we've spent no one. We've, we've learned nothing from this podcast. It's that we're, we're opposed true. to origin stories, but uh, you know that's that, that's the irony. You got to go back. Got to go back and do the reboot. So do the flashback. Oh all right. Well, it's not I'm really that, that exciting of a story, but I it really isn't. It takes three minutes to tell. But there's emotional beats yeah, within I it. Guess. All right. Fine. We'll be right back. We're going to apologize up front for anybody who has also already listened to the Hollywood Prospectus podcast, in which many of these things have come up for consideration. 
between Chris Ryan and Andy, Chris Ryan and Andy Samberg. <laughs> that would be <laughs> <It's> funny. <laughs> um, and Andy Greenwald. Uh, I don't know who that flatters more. I'm going to say it flatters Andy Samberg more. And uh, that's it. So you watch the Emmys hosted by Andy Greenwald. Oops. Oh, my uh, God. Now, you're just, now, <laughs> now, now I'm trolling. Now you're now actively. Yeah, you're actively. Tro- I don't even know. <laughs> I don't know what your game is. <laughs> it's almost like you're trying to play them off against each other. Like they're both <laughs> supposed to be sitting out there like, why is he? <laughs> what, do, what do I have to do? Well, maybe we can stage a reaction in which um, I take an Emmy card and stick my middle finger through it to upset millions of people at, on Jimmy Kimmel's behalf. I uh, I got confirmation that that was fake, by the way, if you didn't. My, you know, because I am one of the most naive beef. You know, I think all beef is real when really it's like satire or whatever. The, the all beef is, is all beef is fake, Wesley, even when it's real. It's all oh, part no. of the. It, it's all part of this 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 matrix that we're in. Like like wake up, but uh, what was the? Uh, so wait, I'm sorry. I, there was a beef. I didn't even realize. See, I'm so immune. <laughs> there was no. There, I mean, okay. So here's the beef was basically that at Sunday, Sunday night Emmys, Jimmy Kimball goes up on stage and does. I thought a pretty funny bit about like how he's the power to. Just say whatever he wants, given what name is on the card. He can just read anything. So he has a pair of scissors. He cuts out the the actual. He opens the envelope before he's announced the nominees. Opens the envelope, cuts out the name of the winner, and proceeds to chew on the 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 cutout piece of paper uh, containing the name of the winner. And he goes on to say, you know, he evaluates the, the nominees and says, you know, he makes some fun of, of Matt LeBlanc um, and uh, then gives Jeffrey Tambor, announces Jeffrey Tambor's name or says that Jeffrey Tambor could be the winner um, if he were randomly giving out Emmys to people. It was kind of I mean, I thought it was I mean, as a nominee, I would have hated it. Um, oh, yeah. That was what I was going to ask you. Like, if you're Jeffrey Tambor. No, I would hate every minute of that. It'd be awful. Because, the, but it also, it, it's like it almost that. The, what I mean, and this may be what the controversy is about, and I missed it. But it almost, it, it, it seems like it delegitimizes the actual winner because it, he's uh, Kimmel has opened the door to say like I could decide anything about this. It's Jack Palance and Marissa Tomei all the time. Is, is, is right. It's, it's he's it, obviously yeah. that's what he's yeah he's invoking. He's invoking that, which you do wonder about, like if that's you know if that's ever happened because it would be such a you know it's such a movie premise, but like somebody decides to you know like <laughs> it's it, it's like somebody decides to Manchurian candidate the Emmys you know and pull the isn't that like was it like you know some kind of I think that's a Paul Rudnick movie waiting to happen. <laughs> if you took a if you took a Robert Ludlum book and you let Paul Rudnick set it at an award show, although. I believe the bodyguard and the naked gun movies sufficiently end in at award shows and and mind control. And, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think they, and in and out. I mean Paul Rudnick basically already has kind of done this. Everywhere you bit. look, Rudnick's done it. <laughs> Don't even try anyway, creative people. Paul Rudnick has already sh- planted the flag on the moon. Yeah, no more no more award show thriller mind control movie you get to the top of the mountain clawing with your with your 
you know, bloody fingertips, and there's Paul Rudnick with a long beard. He's been there forever, laughing at you. <laughs> I would pay a lot of money to see that. Um, I'd pay a lot of money to be laughed at by Paul Rudnick, frankly. Um, did, how much of this show did you watch? I watched like all 11 hours of it. Um, because I was trying to think of something to, to write about for the, the, the site. Cause we did one of those things where you have to think of a thing to write about. I You're so concise when you do those sometimes. <laughs> that is one way of putting it. I'm so <laughs> wanting to go to bed. I'm, I have, I have children. I have one child. I say, I say I have children. I have one. Cause it makes you sound more like, like well, it makes it know. sound more like a good excuse for things, but I, you know, I, I wanted to go to bed. And so I just thought of, I, but, but also I kind of feel like because I have a, a you know, a kid in the, 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 the award shows and I live on the West coast and they start at five, you know, so that you can, you know, be broadcast live on the East coast where all the mm-hmm. uh, things that, that matter happen. Um, I, I always, I'm always watching them not, you know, not in real time. And I'm sort of, so by the time I get to it, it's just, it feels so chewed up. And, you know, sort of like the, all of the stuffing has been torn out of it and I, I try to figure out something. So I end up zeroing in on like these are just the weirdest things. And this was the, the guy, David Nutter, who's the director of the terrible Game of Thrones episode where they throw the turds at Cersei, you know, that the shame, shame show. Oh, oh yeah. Won an award for directing that. Yeah. Now, let me, and, be, can you clarify some things for me in yeah. reg- with regard to, to I mean, this is is this supremely undeserved for me, especially given who the, what the competition was, i.e., Steven Soderbergh, Steven Soderbergh, Steven Soderbergh. Uh, yeah, I mean, Steven Soderbergh should have gotten to twenty five Emmys for that. Whatever was whatever there was to give uh, to that show, and that's 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 ridiculous. No, I mean it's just it's just like Game of Thrones. It's like the the, the first half of the show felt. I don't know if it was exactly halves. I didn't have a stopwatch. But you could be, you would be fooled if you turned off at a certain point. You would have been like, "Wow, that was a really, you know, the Emmys are really, it's a really progressive Emmys. It's crazy, like they're really kind of, you know, sending a message and like about a lot of different things and about you know diversity and television being the place where diversity happens in a way that it can't happen in movies and you know." I'll just say parenthetically that, kind of that Regina King really was the best thing on that show. I did, I, I managed to watch it. I watched most of it um, in a weekend breaking all my rules of TV watching because I was really curious. Regina King was really good. Is she? On. I didn't, I didn't, I, I like if she was in the pilot, she's not really in the pilot, right? Like she's not that. No, much. no, 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 no. She, she shows, shows up, up later and I didn't, yeah. she, I did not, I bailed on that show really, really early and I think I missed her whole arc, which evidently was amazing. Yeah. I mean, it was that, that, you know, the first half, the story of the first half obviously is, you know, here are all these amazing african-american actresses who are not really the movies don't really have that much use for who have found things to do you know, tv has like sort of found you know it's a place for them to you know do their thing and it's awesome and like it, you know it's cool that they got honored and everything but then it's like oh but game of thrones really it's just game of thrones it's just the let's let's just you know let's i, I don't know is it the tv show that employs the most people 
Is that what it is? Like it's just literally Ooh. like do they are they a voting block because they just that just really is a very good question. It's not a real conspiracy. I don't really mean that. I just mean that it was like <laughs> the first the first run. There was a run, and I guess it went for a long time because like Viola Davis was kind of late and everything. But like in the show, so it does. It I mean it's not really halves, but it just somehow it just felt like after all of that, there were a whole bunch of things that you could be sort of really like you just be like yeah. Well, like, you just. Felt like anything could happen kind of exactly even though a you lot were... of the winners were people who previously had won yeah and um, i mean those were you know even the ones that were sort of like you know the alice and Jan- i'm never like sitting at home booing alice and janney i i don't have that in me even though i don't watch that show i've never watched that show but i'm, I'm a you know i'm a fan of her she's um, funny on it but it's like i mean with all due respect i'm not to alice and janney who was great and i'm not i'm not knocking sitcom acting but i mean you know niecy nash Mm-hmm. I'm just saying, you know, I mean, Nisi Nash was of, of those nominees, I thought. But, you know, again, at the same time, it was kind of amazing that she uh, was there in the first place for um, getting on. Yeah, I mean, anything um, that getting uh, getting on, getting nominated, people recognizing that that show exists is a win for that show. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean the show is, it was, the show was fine. I mean, Andy Samberg did a fine job. Um, I, I laughed a few times. I, I, I didn't, I was, I, I'm not really sure. I mean, and this is probably as a person who doesn't watch game of Thrones, I, I was a little surprised by the, what seemed like a, you know, fairly like an onslaught basically. And then, I mean, there were other, like, you know, the John, John Hamm winning. I, I couldn't even tell if this was definitely not his best, you know, that character's best season. But, I mean, you know, you got to do it before the door hits him on the way out. So, yeah, I mean, toss that, it, toss that to him. Right. I mean, he's been he's been playing this character really well, but in the in the same way. For years and years, and it's just right. we've not like it was like we finally fi- this, we finally can't give it to Jeff Daniels this year, or there's no <laughs> there's no there's no, no more. No, I more. mean he was he was nominated, but there just was like could they really? Didn't he win? La- he won last year. He did one. He did win last year. I mean, but that, but that never stops him. That no. never stops. That's not no. If they instituted that rule. They need to institute and and no one. I think actually, like it's. I mean, he didn't. Win, it was. I didn't win this year. I forget if he was even nominated, but he probably. I feel like Jim Parsons should be the guy going to Congress to. It should be <laughs> Jim's law, and he should actually be like, listen, I have seventeen Emmy awards for playing this character on The Big Bang Theory for playing Bazinga or whatever his character's name is um, on The Big Bang Theory. I can't win. It's embarrassing. I'm ashamed of myself. I can't. You can't give me any more Emmys. This has to change. He has to. He has to be the one. Only he. He has to lead the charge. I call on Jim Parsons to lead the charge. Um, well, by all means, I'm sure he. I'm sure he'll take time from his busy theater schedule and his television schedule, and from polishing. I mean, polishing the Emmys polishing takes all up a lot Emmys, of time yeah, no. during the day. Certainly, I, I don't want to. You know, I understand that that's time consuming. Can't let those Fair. tarnish. Um. So I. I the, and so. It was interesting listening to or, or or watching people like Richard, people who you think have Emmys, by the way, like Richard Jenkins and Francis McDormand, neither of whom has one. Um, surprised by that, frankly. Uh, you know, Francis McDormand giving her characteristically succinct 
uh, acceptance speech. You know, I didn't tell this story from when I was at from when I was in uh, when I was at Cannes in in this May when when the Cohen brothers were the head of the jury. But during the jury press conference after the award ceremony, she, <laughs> she was you know she was her husband's date, and you know you'd see her around town just kind of just walking around and and you'd see her in restaurants and stuff and at the press conference which is a very sort of tense affair mostly because mostly for the journalists who are like desperate to get in um she sat in the like somebody took her seat for one thing she was (laughs) she well she didn't take her seat she was going to take someone else's seat but she came up to an emptied seat and was like is anyone sitting here and the person next to her the person who was sitting next to the empty seat was like i think uh, someone is sitting there and she goes, oh, okay. And she so she sits all the way in the back of the room. And at some point, Rossi De Palma, who is one of the jurors, was talking about how there needs to be a supporting actor category because you have all of these wonderful non-lead performances that never can get recognition because there's some you know outstanding masterpiece of a performance that carries an entire movie. And when she, when Rossi De Palma said that, you hear from the back this applause, <laughs> just like yes. <laughs> I turned around. It's it's Mrs. Joel Cohen. It's F. Emmy McD. Winner. Emmy winner. First time Emmy winner, Francis McDormand. Um, anyway, I, I just the Viola Davis thing is really... I just want to talk about that for one second because as big a deal as as we make of it, you know, the not just the press, but like, you know, the world or the world that cares about the Emmys. It is a big deal, but also it just sort of felt anticlimactic to me. And I didn't say this in the thing that I wrote, which I was too high off the moment to to really give it the kind of thought I've given it since. But it is really weird that like she's only the fourth the fourth black woman for sure to be nominated for that in that category. And the first first woman of color all to win. But I don't know. It just feels it just feels like Viola Davis, you've already won. <laughs> oh sure. I, mean, I, but I don't does know. Does it feel it, anticlimactic cuz you feel like it should just cuz you feel like it should have already happened? I mean, are you or is it like it must have because it should have? It's it's I, or cuz it's hard to imagine that it hasn't. A little bit and also like I think it just kind of I think watching the Emmys this year just kind of laid bare for me the ludicrousness of awards. I mean, I know that everybody, I feel everyone has their moment. Everybody's got a moment. You probably had yours 25 years ago. But every once in a while, I have a moment where I'm like, this is so dumb. (laughs) I mean, I don't think with, I mean, and this is with all due respect to what the Emmys seek to recognize, which is, you know, television excellence, um, purportedly. And... I don't, this is not, I don't mean to disrespect that. I mean, all prize giving, I find to be, it just sort of exposed for me or reminded me again how ludicrous I find prize giving. It just is, I don't know. It's just weird. And having, you know, and, and, and the, that moment was so charged because it was historic and she knew it was historic and she was prepared for the historicity of, of 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 her likely winning that that Emmy, and you know to see Taraji Henson leap to her feet as though she'd won, I thought was great. Yeah, because um, it was sincere. That was like a real. That was real. 
it felt real to me. Um, speaking of well, parent, I'll get to my parenthetical in a second because I want to ask about the Taraji Henson, Mary J. Blige, Kerry Washington commercial. <laughs> Did you see that? Directed by Ava DuVernay. In fact, um, I want to talk about that. I'm really that um, was the best part of the show for me, and it was just it was it was it, that 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 commercial did the show a disservice because all of a sudden you're like I don't want to be at this party that I'm pretending to be at. Yes, I want to yes, be at this party yes. that I'm pretending to be at, where music is and, my boyfriend. Like that's where <laughs> I want to go. And the thing about I mean I think it was really I think it's really kind of that juxtaposition. And that is the thing that I love about a show like Empire. I mean, it's funny because when Viola Davis listed the 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 other black women who've Harriet Tubman black actors to you know the light, so to speak, or you know in 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 the in the Harriet Tubman quote that she mentions across this line to where the white women are standing with their arms outstretched. Um. A lot of those, I mean, none of those shows, those, those, those performances and those parts are really interesting because none of them have anything to do with the, with the stereotypes that, you know, 25 years ago, if those women were even on TV, would have been required to fulfill. And, you know, I mean, also the crazy thing too about her naming all those women is it, that's like, that is like the top tier. And then there's a tier below that. And she there's a tear below yeah. that. She could have gone on for like a half an hour of all the black women on TV. And, you know, I mean, there's so many. I mean, it doesn't even mention Angela Bassett and, you know, <laughs> who else? <laughs> Niecy Nash and. Well, yeah, um, I forget who she mentioned. Who she Queen mentioned, Latifah but... and, you know, Monique. All of these black women nominated for Emmys. Um, Regina King wins, you know. Uda, Uza, Aduba wins, and you know it's just it, it it is it is a it is it is it is riches. Um, but I mean, the thing that was important to me was seeing the writer, like seeing John Ridley and D. Rees, and like, there are a couple other people. Is Paris Barkley nominated this year? I don't I don't I don't remember. I don't know. I but, saw John Ridley. They, there was a they, there was a cut to John Ridley. They found him. Yeah, D. Rees and, and D. Rees who made Bessie and um, John Ridley who created and wrote um, American Crime. American Crime. You know, I mean, that's the important thing. I mean, you just need you need people and Shonda Rhimes. Who does she ever go? By the way, I mean, I guess she her shows are. I mean, Scandal's been nominated. Yeah, she was drama. She, I, I, I never. There was never a cut to Shonda Rhimes, and she was. I feel like she was mentioned enough times that they would have gotten a camera on her for like the third or fourth. Oh my mention. god, she's the Woody Allen of had, had, had she, of, of the Emmys. Had she, her, she just, her and Ben Mendelsohn were not were not there. I know that was. The, oh yeah, that's all you care about. Was ben well, Ben Mendelsohn's in space, man. Ben Mendelsohn's in an X wing right now, chilling. They're still they're shooting. He just no. He's in the next. He's in the he's in Rogue One. So he's in the the one that's that is that's happening now. He's in the Gareth Edwards one, not the uh, episode seven or whatever. Right? Isn't he Rogue One? Or is he in the? No, nah, he's in that. He's in the next one. He's in the he's in the one about the you know the getting the Death Star plans. Right? I don't know. Um, I guess I don't know. If there's who, any, who are you talking to? About if there's this, any like, Star Wars fans out there who are good at remembering minutia of things that are happening with Star Wars, don't all tweet at me at once. 
Anyway, it was a fine show. I That is I, all I care about, by the way. <laughs> You're right. I know. I know. I know. I know. I mean, you needn't be ashamed of it, except, you know, I will shame you because it's fun, but you, you don't have to be ashamed of that. I've actually managed to be around enough people who were excited by this for the excitement to, like, rub off on me. Um, so I'm just going to bite my tongue and, and go watch the movie when it comes out. But no, so it was, it was, uh, look, I, I thought that part of the Emmys, that aspect of the Emmys would be, you would have to be made of stone to not get excited about it. Or Confederate flags. If you're a, if you're a scarecrow stuff with Confederate flags, (laughs) probably not your Emmys this year. Better luck next year. Can I ask a question? Yeah. What is, I mean, what happens now, right? I mean, we've talked about this very subject on this show so many times. And so what, what I'm, what I want to happen is that there are some movie people who look at the money that, that, um, the perfect guy made. I don't want them to keep making perfect guys, but or I, I actually do. I, I do just keep making that, but just do it a little bit better. I mean, there's got to be, there's, I mean, I mean, it just doesn't work this way at the movies. I mean, there aren't enough black women in movies and there aren't enough Asian women in movies or, (laughs) or Latinas. And it's, it's just, it's crazy that this is a problem just, and we've talked about this too. Just don't spend that much money to make the movie. So you don't need Chinese money to get the money back. Like just open it on you know 3000 screens in north america and don't spend more than 10 million dollars to do it yeah i mean look it just it almost feels like you know like that 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 ship has sailed and it's like the the, the you know do you mean it's never going to happen well yeah or, because you know, it's television not, has basically taken up the slack well television has taken up i mean it's not because television it's, it's that's not the cause and effect no i mean i feel like television has absolutely taken up the slack because movies have base it's it's just narrower and narrower like who who's gets to be in a movie now you know mm-hmm. i mean like it's yeah, not even true. like it forget about sort you know kind of you know like you know diversity and non-white people it's like you're if you're not like running away from a transformer like it's you know there's there's a limit <laughs> to what you're doing i mean it's just oh weird. black people can run from transformers by the way they can certainly run certainly <laughs> i mean i've seen tyrese run from you know <laughs> it's all that's uh, there's no concern about that like, not, I mean, but, but this is this is okay. Go on. Yeah, I don't know. It just seems like that. Like uh, no, I mean, but that's that's the question. Like, what is you know what what is the reason that why that can never happen? Uh, like, I mean, I. Uh, well, since I mean, it's not obviously not happening, it doesn't seem like there's a. It doesn't seem like anybody is looking. This is what this is what this is what the real question is. Like, why is nobody looking at? Uh, all the Shondaland shows and all of these things that are, you know, the, the, the all of these great parts that are getting sort of created and these amazing performances are having. Nobody's thinking like the, the thing where you did really well on TV and then you get to go be in movies. Somehow that doesn't that leap doesn't happen. Is it just because right. there's no there's no movies to leap to that are there's no parts to I leap don't know. to? I mean, there could be. Well, yeah, I mean, I think that's definitely part of it. I mean. You know, and that's the thing about TV is you now have more people of color making things happen there. And you have more executives who, you know, sort of more money-minded executives who are open to, I mean, what shouldn't be called taking risks. But, you know, like casting Nicole Bahari in, a, in in Sleepy Hollow, 
shouldn't I mean it is a risk because you know who who's that to a lot of people um but the show I mean she's the best thing on the show and you know that show isn't bad I mean I watch it every once in a while but I mean that's not we're talking about the people like like Jada Pinkett Smith on on the, the Batman show um is really yeah yeah is really good and a bad I mean they're just there's a lot of things happening and then you look at something like Orange is the New Black which I've got three episodes left on this season and you know it is there's nothing we've talked about this before too but there's nothing like this on TV where just the 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 range of people on this show and like who they're talking to and what they're talking about is just it not only is it historic from a TV standpoint but just as a work of art it's historic <laughs> Um, it's just, an, I mean, I don't know. Did you watch the third season? I, we watched like half of it. And then I think we just never, I did not, I, I, I still, th- I don't think you're wrong about any of the things that you were saying in this conversation. I sort of felt like it had other than, other than that. And I thought the performances were still pretty great across the board. I felt a real sense that like, this does not know why it exists anymore other than so that you can keep hanging out with these people and these actors. Um, That's good enough for me though. No, I don't I know. know. I know. I got, I get, I get impatient. I get like, Oh, why am I? The, I'm just, I just, I start to feel like I'm, you know, I, I like, like I'm wasting my life. It's weird. I, I get really annoying about it. I'm very. I, here's the real issue. I become very unfun to watch something with. In that, when I start to feel that way, I was like this with like the what last are you throwing se- things at the screen. No, I'm just sort of. I'm just well, like not at your TV. I've seen it. You don't want to throw anything. They'll throw it. things back at you. It's. It'll say no. <laughs> They will eat the thing you throw at it. it was, Thank you. It was, it Thank is, you for feeding me, Alex Papadopoulos. It is. It is. It is a, a sort of obscene television. It's. It's pretty big. Um, no, I just uh, look. I just. I become like you. You, you don't want to watch with me because I'm annoying about it. I'm just sort of like. Ugh. I'm just I, I like because I just felt like and maybe maybe it developed more sort of narrative drive as it went along. I just felt like in the absence of you know sort of any real it just didn't feel like there was a there was a, there was a story that needed to be told it was like they were just kind of you know keeping these people together i liked the you know i i liked the sort of the the, the the moving the focus off of taylor Schilling to the extent that that happened i like that it's just you know that it had become more sort of pure ensemble i just felt like the storytelling and like drive was not there for me I don't know. I feel like anything that keeps these women employed and I get to watch how... Okay, so I'll just say this. Selenice Leva, the the woman who plays um, Mendoza on that show, is giving the best performance I've seen in what we would call TV in, in 2015. Like, she's playing Gloria, the, the woman who took over the kitchen from Red. That woman is incredible. And they know it. They made her a permanent cast member or a full-time cast member or however the tiering works on this show. But, I, I mean, I, I just it – is, it is – it's just some of the best, most emotionally visceral and yet completely natural and controlled acting I, I've seen on TV. It's just – it's she's so good. Um and I don't know. I mean, that wouldn't be possible were it not for this show. Now, only pretty. I mean, I'm not even going to disagree with you necessarily. 
Um, because it like unlike last season, there doesn't seem to be. It's unclear where the show is going. You know, like there doesn't appear to be an arc. Right. You um, don't have V. You don't have so. You don't have a villain. Right. Who has right. To be. You know, the second season I think is a masterpiece. But this one, I don't know. I really like. I just I'll always watch it. I mean, because it, it's just giving an opportunity. These these are women who we're going to talk about this Richard Gere movie, which I guess we should start to talk about. Um, mostly because uh, Danielle Brooks and the woman who pl- is another orange is the new black character in it, and you don't even see Danielle Brooks's face; you just hear her voice in the movie. Yeah, I was wondering about that. Like, how many of those? Because like, I did. There was there was something. Somebody else is in it. That I was like, huh, really? I went back and I was like looking for them. Who they're, they're some Oh yeah, that's another thing. I didn't. See, there was a Brian Darcy James. Where was he? I didn't see. Him. I think they're just those voices where there are people. Like, they, I guess they maybe play. The, you know, are we going to talk about? Oh, actually? I do know who Brian Darcy James was. He was the guy behind the window. Oh. Where, okay. Anyway, the great thing about Orange Is the New Black is that I've watched so much of it. That when people from the show, such as Danielle Brooks, show up in another movie and you don't even see her face, but all you hear is her voice, you're like, I know exactly who that is. It's Tasty <laughs> from Orange is the New Black. Um, I really, I, I don't know. I, so, time out of mind, Richard Gere playing a homeless man named George Hammond. Uh there's some explanation as to what has led him to his homelessness. Um, but you know, as is the case with many homeless people, I mean, the one explanation really doesn't quite satisfy or justify or bring into enough relief how the person, how X person got there. Um, he is, the film sort of is it's directed by Oren Moverman who made the messenger and uh, rampart, which I wish we had a podcast to discuss when it came out. Um, George sort of wanders around Manhattan and Brooklyn. He eats out of garbage cans. He asks for money. He sleeps in shelters and is for a bit of time. He gets his own Huck, uh, uh, Tom figure, or um jim i believe jim sorry (laughs) he has his own let's just mash together all mark twade characters into one person um yeah he gets a ben vereen who is his sidekick for a handful of scenes um i mean i I, the i for me the the sort of worthy thing the movie wants to do is sort of to call attention to the plight of people living on the streets and to say that it's hard without necessarily showing you, I mean, this, the movie does not make it look easy, but it also, you can imagine about five other directors who would have really put you through something. Oh yeah. I was just ready for him to not like I was like sitting there with my popcorn popped for this to happen, but I kind of was thinking like that he's good at some point things will go really bad for him. He will get beat up. It's like, it's too, it's, it's kind of, it did seem too. It did seem too nice. Weirdly, like that was. That's honestly like my criticism of this. Not yeah. just because I, as I as I texted you, there, I you know I I should feel bad about this, but he's not a real homeless person. Therefore, I'm allowed to judge him. <laughs> you said he was too handsome. I said Richard Gere is too sexy for his homelessness. <laughs> I felt at any moment. I mean, and it's it is established in the, pretty early in the story. Like he gets a shower. 
you know, like he's cleaned up a little bit and he's he's been squatting someplace. So he's not like living in the, you know, in an alleyway or something. He's had this. He's been squatting in this house that in the, the sort of inciting incident of the movie is that he gets kind of kicked out of this place where he's been sort of chilling in the bathtub inside of this house. And then this Dubuchemi comes and says, you got to go. Um, but I felt at any moment that he was going to unzip the homeless outfit and there was going to be a tuxedo underneath it in the, like a James Bond <laughs> wetsuit kind of thing. It's just, it's, he's too Richard gear still. And it's yeah. like, it's, it, he just, it was there. It's, there's something about it. Like from a Richard gear standpoint, from the sort of nonsensical thing of Richard gear that I feel like it, it, like that works for me in a way, but like, like I got What's into the nonsensical it. thing. Just that he's this sort of like, no matter what it is, he's kind of like just dreamy and sexy. Like he always sort of is like, you know, he just wanders the, I don't know. It's just, there's something about it. Like, I don't know. He just seems like he, like he was at, at, at any time, like, you know, I guess it would be Julia Roberts would sort of pull up in a limo and kind of be like, you know, give him a makeover and it would do instantly. Be, everything would change. No, I don't know. I just felt like he was. No, too, no, I. He has some I, nice I silver hair. You know, it's just like he. It, I mean, not that I need like Richard Gere. You've never seen an actor this dirty and you know sort of like <laughs> just messed up looking. Like it's it's fine. I didn't need it to be. I didn't need this movie to be some kind of a, like endurance challenge. Like we're gonna show you how bad it really is. And I think he does do a lot of. There's some interesting things that he's in that he's doing in that performance. I think like whether or not it's like it's sort of the physical reality of it, it doesn't really bring that home to you. Mm-hmm. But there, it, it does get the psychological aspect of it, like that scene where he's finally landed at. It's like the I don't know if it's the it's, it's like the first real shelter experience that you you're, you see. Like he's finally got a bed in a shelter. Mm-hmm. He finally is like you know you know bunked down for the night and you just you really he can't and he still can't sleep and you realize like how much of that experience you know in addition to all of the sort of like physical privation of being homeless like there's there's a psychological aspect to it that that he gets at where it's like seems like it's it's probably really really stressful over and above everything else and you probably can't unwind at the end of the day just because if you're lucky enough to find a place to sleep you know and you get a bunk or whatever in a shelter like you're sort of a you're surrounded by all these sort like there's this chorus of uh human noises rising up out of the other beds and he's coughing the moaning yeah yeah, and it's like um, you just imagine like the idea. So like even you know he's he's in that moment he's doing okay, but he still sort of can't get out of that headspace. And so you get it gives you the headspace. And then the other thing that we didn't talk about that I think is a you know sort of that was a, a interesting way of going at it. I mean we you alluded to it because you talk about seeing hearing people's voices and not seeing their faces. Is that a lot of this is shot so that he is in. He's in the background and there's a there's another sort of narrative going on on the soundtrack. It's like people are ordering coffee or talking about like you right. see him there'll be you'll just move and we'll put the camera like on sometimes like on a building across the street, you know, or like in sort of, you know, like it, there's a subway scene where like he's on the opposite platform. You know, and like you're just you're watching all the sort of New Yorkness kind of going on around it, and like people are actually having conversations that have nothing to do with the you know the story that we're watching or anything like that, and it's about how oblivious we are to these people in our in our midst. Mm. Um, so I get that. It's no, I mean yes, that is that's a very smart, if very uh, as if also kind of obvious formal technique um, to get you to understand 
just how much these people are a part of our physical space without i mean i'm aware of it it's weird because it's a new yorker and i don't know i mean every city's relationship to its homeless population i think is different right and you know i feel like i mean what is the least loaded way i can say this about like skid row for instance which is that there is a i mean the community seems to wield if not like political power, they have power over that, that space. It seems to me like when you go down there in Los Angeles, you, you kind of have to obey their rules. Like if they want to cross the street, they're going to cross it. And, you know, I feel like Los Angeles relationship is different from New York's relationship, for instance, which, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of people encounter homeless people like in subway stations. Um, and so it's hard to ignore an aspect of them. You know, you get on the subway, there's a person sleeping on three seats on the, in the car and you give them, you give that person his or her space. You just don't even, you don't even bother. And part of it for me is like a, like a show of respect. Like, okay, you need those, you need those three seats. Not like the person who's put three bags on a seat and you're like, oh ma'am, did your bags have a hard day too? Do they need it? Did they need to take a load off? Um, and so in this movie, I mean, I get that strategy of constant. It's all the cameras always shooting or frequently shooting Richard Gere's character through windows and doors. And, you know, at some point he's in a corridor in a, in the, in the shelter and the camera is inside someone's apartment across the street. And you hear the plans being made in that apartment while the camera is looking at Richard Gere go up a set of stairs. Um, I think those things are really effective, but after a while you kind of, I mean, I don't think anybody's going to this movie unaware that being homeless is awful. I mean, if you've ever been homeless for like one night or two nights, I mean, that's happened to me before and you're not camping or anything. You just are displaced for a couple of days. It's pretty like just the idea of like where you're going to sleep for an hour is terrifying. Um, I mean, having to do that night after night indefinitely is is a completely psychologically untenable situation. I mean, and it is probably, I mean, I'm sure there's been some study to compare it to being tortured, but it is a kind of torture. Um, you know, if not physical, then definitely existential. And not just not to mention any of the, you know, shitty things about disease and all that stuff. Anyway, this is a movie that kind of like gets to the tip of that iceberg, but doesn't really, you know, you get a sense of it, but it's not really designed to like, it's only designed to remind you these people exist and that some of these people look like Richard Gere. 1%, 1% of these people look like Richard Gere. I will say uh, Los Angeles has some of the most vital looking homeless people. And Well, no, Louisa and I, Louisa Thomas and I have this game, like homeless there is a there is homeless or hot or homeless it's <laughs> homeless strong it's real it's there is something where they're just like i don't know you just like you kind of see like a like like dudes like by the you know by the freeway exit or whatever with like you know the kind of like tribal tattoos homeless people right. they're like homeless bouncers homeless reality show contestants but no, there's something about the Richard Geardness of this that I think gets in the way for me. Like that was ultimately mm. what happened. Like that I think like there, even though I thought he did a good job. I think, well, I mean, 
Yeah, I don't I, know. I, think, I don't know if it, yeah, I mean, like why I would you know if I feel differently, but you know, like. Well, there's two parts to that, right? I mean, because what you've identified is Richard Gere's actorly limitations, right? I mean, he is foremost a movie star, and short of and you know you wonder how much discussion there was in terms of making him look like samuel l jackson in caveman's valentine you know how much hair do we give him instead they go the opposite direction and give him very little hair you know he's got a little stubble and his hair is shorn um and so i mean richard Gere is like a person who can embody ideas of 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 characters and of and of, of, of american men in particular but he's not somebody who, when he stares at a window, can 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 give you a galaxy of of thoughts. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He's not he's not that kind of actor. He's not an interior actor. And so, you know, the movie he has to be. I mean, you watch him in this, and he must be standing for something because he definitely isn't filling anything in. Um, and in that sense, I think that Richard Gere's casting is kind of its its point i mean i think he had a hand in the production too so i mean he he definitely wanted to do yeah. this part for himself um or he wanted to get this movie made you know with him in it as probably the better way to put that um but i also think that the idea for me that that if nobody's noticing richard gear be homeless on the street like who else aren't you seeing yeah you know like and i think that the, I don't know if I'm giving... I mean, that's a benefit of the doubt observation. But, I mean, it is interesting to me. But as a movie, I think there... I mean, there are, there are films by people like the, the Laurent Canté, this French director who makes a lot of movies about um, just normal, working-class, poor people. Um, the Dardenne brothers do the same thing. Uh, there's an American director named Lodge Kerrigan who also, who's, you know, Damien Lewis's, one of Damien Lewis's best performances is in the Lodge Kerrigan, Lodge Kerrigan movie called Clean, um, where he, you know, this plays a guy who is basically mm-hmm. living in a motel. Did you see that? No. It's really see. good. Um, and, you know, it's this, that same style of realism. Um and I don't know that Oren Mooverman is really the kind of director who this style does not suit him necessarily, I think. I mean, because you get the point of what it's supposed to do almost immediately, but then you're stuck with it for two hours and two minutes. And it just becomes um, a device. It just becomes a look. Yeah. It's not clean. Sorry. That's the wrong logic. Clean shape. No, no, yeah. no. Um, the the logic character, the one with, with Damian Lewis is called Keen, not clean. Uh, well, <laughs> clean is something else. Fair enough. Um, Anyway, Damien Lewis, really good in, in Keen. Um, he's a, like a guy who's sort of mentally ill and has some relationship with this um, woman and her and her daughter. Um, anyway, I, I don't know. I feel like I, I I don't like I said. There's a lot of there are a lot of directors who could have done something much crueler and darker and more. We're going to really rub your face in what it's like. Right, right, right. But, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if I appreciate it being let off for the night or whether I... I mean, I definitely could have... You know, I feel like a little more daring might have been in order. And, you know, because nobody doesn't understand that being homeless sucks. And so why not Why not do something a little more ambitious? And, and I think the ambition, though, again, is like 
how do you shoot Richard Gere in a in an overcoat and a wool hat on the street and not have people notice that, or will people notice it? You know, I mean, I'm sure the outtakes were probably really interesting. <laughs> it's a very different movie. There's also, I mean, there's a very there there is a story when he's when he's alluding to kind of what you know what brought him here i think it's in one of the conversations uh with his with his his uh strange daughter maybe but i don't i forget exactly how how it comes up but he does mention that there were some there were some women that took him in over time and that is the most realistic moment in the thing where you're like yeah i i believe that i believe that richard gear yeah. <laughs> i believe that a guy a, a fictional character looked like richard gear would bounce off a lot of nets before finally hitting the ground and ending up yeah homeless. like there yeah, would be a no, lot of, I mean, and i almost wanted to see that movie i almost wanted to see richard Gere, like you know so just the kind of moving through you know different different scenarios because clearly he's gotten to he, the, as this begins he's at it's the kind of the last of those like because he's it's he's right. it's sheila's place and sheila's gone and he goes looking for sheila and other you know cure sedgwick is a fake sheila you know all that um it's, it, I liked it was her interesting. in this movie, in her, yeah. in her small part. She was really good. The, one of the, um, almost unrecognizable, but yeah. Yeah, her accent, I mean, everything, she she worked for me. But I think what you're what's not, what it sounds like you're asking for is like the Paul Schrader version. Of this yeah, like that's the, what it like is. Like the I early wanna, 80s Paul Schrader version of this movie. I want a homeless American gigolo. That right. is what right. I wanted. And I, the, it, if, if it's going to be, if we're going to go arty homeless... That's what I'm. That's what I'm. That's where I want it to be. Is 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 Schrader? Um, yeah. You've identified my problem with this. I mean, that's not a fair problem to have. I wish Paul but, Schrader right, had made this movie in 1986. Right. But yeah, you know, it is. Um. So I did see. Um, I saw the other movie we talked. I saw the movie we talked about last week, which was um, the Overnight. And I guess. I guess. I also I, understand all your texts. <laughs> I guess I didn't say the the the, the title. I was so concerned about spoilers last time we talked about it that I forgot. You wouldn't to even ruin the title of the movie. I wouldn't movie even ruin it. the title of the movie for like the first <laughs> ten minutes of the segment and it was confusing. The movie is called The Overnight. Stars Adam Scott, Jason Schwartzman, Taylor Schilling. Uh so you watched it. I did. I did. <laughs> How do you feel? I'm not no no, it's not you know, it's funny. I feel like I am I am I am at capacity on the uh, the very thing you set this up having identified, which is bored Los Angeles people or like parent like Los Angeles parents who really are worn out by their one kid. Me too. As as a Los Angeles parent who's frequently worn out by my one kid, I don't need movies about it dramatizing my struggle. And I went into this kind of with low expectations because of that. Like yes. I think I said that, but I, I'm definitely with you overall and this was one where it broke through for me it broke through that resistance right so this this the scene the scene i thought was really really sweet and kind of hot um and i'm i am i too am glad they went most of the way there without like betraying who these people probably think they are sexually um and you know copping to the to the awkwardness you know the sub. You know the 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 ensuing awkwardness. Um, I mean, it's fine. It's a fine movie. It's it's fine. It's fine. There's no filmmaking. There is. There's some good writing. There is this really like sweet Adam Scott performance. Um, I, I don't know. I I, I and, and you know, <laughs> yes. 
prosthetic penises. <laughs> Woohoo! <laughs> I mean, wave of the future. Like, I, I feel like you know the new thing is. I mean, Jake Gyllenhaal is probably seeing these penises and being like, "Screw that, man! I'll just use my own." Like, I feel like there's going to be like this new actor test. Like, the Ryan Goslings of the world are going to be like, "Nope, going to use my own penis." No CGI, none of that. Right. It's, it's gonna be. It's gonna be like doing your own fight scenes, like <laughs> where you could have just gotten real. It's like, yeah, exactly. Like Jake Gyllenhaal is, is not. He no no sooner would he use CGI to get small for you know Nightcrawler. Yes, Tom. Here's your Merkin. Oh no no no, oh, no hell no no I don't I don't I I use my own penis my own pubic hair. Thank well, you no, I mean, look, it does it does open up. You know, I mean, the, the, I think like one of the issues with that is like you can't you you can't ask or expect an actor to you know to walk around like that you know for a certain for a certain number of scenes depending on what the you know the the penis needs to do. Oh, that's true. You know, that is true. It's complicated. That, well, yeah, that's the cheat in this movie, right? You can't you can't you can't. I mean, I guess you could like swap out the flaccid penis and put an erect one on the actor, but. This whatever. Anyway, but this movie um, has, has something specific has to happen, and it's you know. Yes, yes, yeah, and and that specific thing then has to mean something. And anyway, I I'd find this movie fine. I just would like. I mean, I, I'm what I'm looking for now is the horror movie version of this, or like you know, I mean, there's, there's got to be some like the the locks of the canal have to move the boat up or the genre up to like the next plane um and i am looking for this for like bored los angeles parents to to find find a genre that is not just people moseying around what neighborhood is this even is it atwater village no is it silver lake it looks like silver lake i mean parts of it look but that playground is in glendale so, but it's not Glendale. I mean, it, the, I think that I've oh, been right. to that playground though, because that's how much I've you know sort of that these movies are in my backyard. But I mean, the the horror movie version does kind of exist. It's the it's Invitation. It's that Karen Kusama movie, which is coming out. I think it should be at some. Oh, point. it's the right time for it. It's great. It's really good, and it is does it? exactly what the it, it, it's. I mean, their it, their parentness is not as important. Except, it, I mean, it has it, it it is kind of, but it's it's that exact same. It is people who could very well be friends with the people in the overnight, and like people who they could all be sort of socializing in the same circle. And it takes that thing. It takes that. There's that moment when you are approaching the house in the overnight, and when there's like. The, the kind of incipient creepiness that you feel like is going to occur where it's like maybe Schwartzman is going to start trying to murder them or something. It's like, what <laughs> right, if it, right, it's right. before you realize what's actually what the actual game is. Like if you don't, you know, if you don't know in that movie, like there, the, like the inv- invitation, like actually goes there and it does sort of, it does give it away because uh, what's his name is there. And it's like, you, you know, that the, uh, I'm trying to remember now that uh, he's the, the, he's the Zodiac. Um, that actor who sort of looks like oh John yeah. Carroll Lynch John Carroll Lynch is is at the party oh, and it's boy. like it's like everybody's like hey who's but who's that guy and it, like so it does there is that aspect of it so it's, there's not it's not a huge surprise when things get things get weird but th- if you want the horror movie set in that milieu it's it's there oh I it, want it, that it I would love it it's coming okay from the director of Girl Fight um so it's like it yeah it's great I saw it it, it was a South by Southwest and it, it, I feel like it's there's no way. 
with the reaction that it got, but I don't know offhand like when that's when that's actually coming up. Well, Draft House has it. I mean, they're not going to sit on it. Yeah, it's it. They're, it, it no, they're it's, not like that yet. Um, let's see. I'm going to find out because I'm going to tell people with this with, with this podcast. Um, yeah, if we're good for nothing, we're at least good for telling people when movies might be released. Yeah, whenever that's whatever you should you should do it. You should see it when that when that happens. Um, anyway, um, we'll be right back. We're going to talk about what are we going to talk about? Oh. Gonna, Ryan Adams. Yeah, there is that. There is that. We 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 we're just ignoring the you know the great artists of our time covering the other great artists of our time. How oh, do we boy. forget? <laughs> we'll be right back. Uh, so my feeling about Ryan Adams' new album, 1989, a full song-for-song song cover of the Taylor Swift album, 1989, I, I, I am opposed to this on so many kind of ideological levels. Same here. Same here. Same I hate here. the idea of this. In so many different ways, not not, and there's no like there's no one prejudice that wins out. That sort of it, like it's it like I am against, I am against the indie rock person, and I think of Ryan Adams as kind of an indie rock person. He's indie enough. He's I know that it's you know it's alt country or whatever, but it's that it's you know it's that thing. It's 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 serious guitar music. Or yeah, whatever it doesn't want, have a know. genre to me. What he is so. But it's that it's that thing of like when you know somebody covers it's like uh, like Travis covers Baby One More Time and everybody's like okay. you know what Baby yes. One More Time yes. is actually yes. a great song like no sh- of course it is <laughs> like I don't want to know I don't want to know you if you didn't if that was what it took for you to figure out that Baby One More Time is a good song and I kind of right. feel the same way about anybody reacting to this sort of be, anybody who like. And it's not even the I, I like it's not a Ryan anti Ryan Adams thing. It's oh wait, just, you're there's no butt to this rant. Oh no, there's a well, you know, there's a butt. There's a butt, which okay. is that I like it and I found it, whatever. It's it's a butt, and it's like I don't. When this record is playing, I'm not mad that it's playing, and I'm not. I don't want to take it off and right. listen to something else. Like I've enjoy, I've enjoyed it. It it is weird how many of those songs become here comes a regular by the replacements. You know, mm, he just it's just yeah. it's like that's the that's the zone that it goes to. Like it doesn't it doesn't feel like it needs to exist and it's not necessarily like the version of Ryan Adams that is on this record is not my favorite Ryan Adams. Right. Okay. So just to I mean so to be clear, like Ryan Adams, what's your favorite version of this person because this is the thing about him right he's got a lot of he i mean it's hard to sort of classify whatever it is he is because he has a lot of selves yes exactly and you don't necessarily you don't get it's he's he's like a neil young type figure where you kind of you don't know which neil is coming down the stairs from day right. to day, you know, talk about a Karen Kusama horror movie. <laughs> it's going to be the, Oh no. <laughs> Uncle Neil's home. Oh, he's mad about Monsanto. He's that out. Harvest moon is out. <laughs> Look alone. It's all. Why Neil. is there Neil Young makes movies? Why is there no Neil Young werewolf movie? I just, <laughs> that's what we, that is. If we've stumbled on anything in the course it's of so this podcast, true. why has he never played like the, the king of the werewolves? Like oh there's a God. werewolf Rob movie. zombie. Yeah. Rob Zombie, if you're good for anything, you got to get this guy while while the getting is good. You know, put that, make it like young, sexy werewolves 
for the, you know, that's the lead. That's your lead. It's like Ryan Reynolds is a werewolf or something like that. It's fine. Whatever you want, whatever direction you want to go in. But Ryan Reynolds, that was the first sexy person like, that came to my mind. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know. Like this, uh, this idea doesn't even get to like Ryan Reynolds housekeeper. When I think of something that would that not even, yeah, exactly. <laughs> When I think of something that would get a movie made that I don't, you know, whatever, I'm just like, oh, put Ryan Reynolds in it. It's just, you know, whatever. Uh, anyway, uh, I forget. We were, okay. You're um, talking about the personalities of Ryan, of, of, of Ryan, Ryan Adams. Adams. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is, this is the thing for me. Like I, you know, and it's, it's, it's about to be fall. It's about to be the mm. time. It's about to be the time of year when I want to listen to, um, some of those Ryan Adams records, which I I have a very I I have like seasonal associations with, and I have personal associations with, and like that's it's you know they they need to be it's sort of used sparingly because it's just like you know it becomes like it's, you know sticking your tongue in the toothache after a while. Um, right. I, I like really, that with Beck. Interesting. Like yeah, with Beck's this with Adams Sad Beck. I'm assuming yep. Sad Beck. Yep. Um, well, anyway, go on, go on. Uh, seasonal of, seasonal of affiliations. With, so, uh, and I've actually not, you know, I sort of, I, I've, I've fallen off. Like, I really liked a lot of the, I almost, I think basically I wish there was a little more of the I'm crazy Ryan Adams putting out, you know, songs about space invaders or whatever. Like, I think there was a little bit, like, I wanted a little more of the manic Ryan Adams versus the depressive Ryan Adams, I think. Mm, yeah, I, think if I like, you I know, agree. To sort of to, to you know bring it down to that, or I would have wanted this to be you know sort of like a real kind of like you know sort of you know elaborate sort of pop country thing. It's like when he's just it's sort of straight down the middle, kind of like you know like rock music and you know sad ballad guy. I'm not I'm not as excited about it. I mean, I like I really like Demolition, which is that one. It's that the the best of the nine albums that he didn't put out between. Heartbreaker and Gold, I think, or whatever that is, or you know, or the, I think I know Demolition was after that. Right? Oh, it wait, came so out he, after. He made it before. He I made for, it between Heartbreaker and Gold. I don't know what the there was some there's something where like he you know he pulled sort of all the best stuff onto some Lost Highway compilation. I kind of that's that's one of my favorites. Obviously, I think Heartbreaker is amazing. I really like Pneumonia, which is the last Whiskey Town album. So I guess I'm making a his early stuff argument without really meaning to. I, I thought that last the one the most recent one the the uh, the real uh, sort of Heartland Rock eighties one was not oh bad. the self titled one yeah yeah um, I like it I'm, I I I always feel like he's you know I will I, here's the thing I will read any Ryan Adams profile or interview because I enjoy him as a person I'm not Stephen always Hyden just did a Q and A yeah him. read that because I will read anyone but not that's not why obviously no no disrespect to Stephen Hyden <laughs> like proof that I'll read anyone. That's not what I meant by that. I'm sorry, Stephen. I, I just I didn't mean, hear it that way. I just meant that I read it because I saw that and I was like, I'll read that, Ryan Adams. Um, you know, I like sort of I, I like his sort of you know studio situation that he's created and his little, his little pinball paradise and all of that. Mm-hmm. So it's not about it's not about that, and it's also not about like feeling. You know, if I, I if I loved 1989 more, I think I might be like, it's perfect. Don't mess with it, dummy. You know, yeah. Why is, yeah, don't yeah, yeah. try to, to, you know, I don't know. I, but, but doesn't this confirm the, the thing about that record that you and I have been talking about, which is that 
it is a record that sounds like it could have been done by anybody. This is the last somebody that I thought would do it. But I mean, these songs, the thing that I love about this record, setting aside the, the our shared philosophical objection to its existence in the first place, is that it really brings out what is so what you know what what we what people know to be true about Taylor Swift is that she's a really good lyricist and it's interesting listening to those lyrics come out of someone else's mouth who doesn't sound anything like Taylor Swift but also whose voice isn't that incredible like Taylor Swift's and right. so you really are listening to a story being told and a mood being set as opposed to a song necessarily being sung um, in any sort of conventional sense. And then, you know, it's kind of an imperfect, it, it, as an experiment, it really is like a nice science project because there are things about the electronic dimension to that record that, you know, people like Max Martin and Jack Antonoff and, and Shellback, um, if that's right. Uh, that's right, right? If that is his um, real name. <laughs> I don't know what his real name is. Um, but... He, I, there are things about the electronic version of that record. I mean, the, the the way the electronic music works on that record, that that give it its character as well. And so, to not hear some things on on Adams's version is really, I mean, it's a, it. You do miss, you miss the sonic walls on the Taylor Swift record. And yet the thing that you're saying about fall, this is what I thought you were going to say about, about the seasonal affiliation with certain Ryan Adams records. And who knows, maybe if you continue to listen to this one, this will become one of them, but this record releasing it at the beginning or the end of September, the beginning of fall just feels exactly right to me. Mm -hmm. And the mood is autumnal. Um, it brings out of, of, Taylor Swift's 1989, this kind of anger and woundedness and, you know, not all the songs work. Um, and some surprising, I mean, the things that work, I think are the second half of the, of the record. The, the ones that are, that have, you know, almost no Max Martin. Oh wait, no, that's not true. I think Max Martin did. did he definitely did bad blood, which does not, I don't think it works in his version. No, but um, I don't think it's, I think it's the weakest song on the yeah, Taylor Swift record it's, too. I agree. I think I agree. that one of the things also that you get from this is that it is it, it, I didn't think so much about lyrics but just about structure. Just mm, that she's a mm -hmm. really good she's her just the lines are really good like they're really just like cl good like clean lines and like it's just they're like well designed pop songs and so like you can see you that's why they translate into, you know, the Ryan Adams format. That's why they work and you can play them on an acoustic guitar even though you'd never you sort of, how would you, you I don't know how you'd go. I mean, you know, I'm, not, I'm not a musician, but like you don't listen to that Taylor Swift record and think about it that way. No, you know? that's the thing, right? Um, can I say something catty? <laughs> sure. I do find that, I mean, I, I never talk about this stuff on this show, but as you know, I'm an avowed Mandy Moore fan. And I, I heard that, that she and Ryan, she and her ex-husband Ryan Adams are no longer together. And I, I'm a little uh, disturbed by that element of this record. <laughs> I don't know why. No, I think it's a really interesting. But I have a lot of I have a weird sympathy for Mandy Moore, even though I don't know anything about anything. But Mandy Moore is also a recording artist, who, by the way, put out a very fine record of covers. 
<laughs> it is a good record of covers. Yeah. It's a great, um, it has a hole of the moon on it by the, mm. the water boys. It's got the, uh, Right, like she does. There's something. Yes. Like she does like like she does a Todd Rundgren cover on there, I believe. Jo- oh yeah, uh, it, why can't we be friends? Yeah, she does. Why can't? Yeah, um, no, not why can't we? Can be we still uh, be friends? Can we still be friends? Right. Um. Th- yeah. No, that's her covers record is great. No, this is very much like I think. I mean, and he said that his the the initial kind of obsession and then the spark of doing this because he tried to do it on a four track, and then sort of mythically the four track ate the tape and then he ended up doing it over with the band. But like, it was his first like Christmas and new years being divorced from Andy Moore and sitting at home. Like, what am I going to do? And kind of listening to 1989. So it is, I like the idea, the one area, the one like level on which I am not opposed to this is that I like the idea of, uh, artists covering other artists in the moment, things that are new that they're just excited about. And I wish that still happened. Like, I wish there was the thing of like, like uh, all I want by Joni Mitchell came out on blue in whatever, like 1971, whenever that record mm-hmm. came out and mm-hmm. the Supremes recorded it the next year. Oh yeah. That was, yeah, 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 yeah. And like those okay. kinds of things and where like, you know, sort of I like that too, like Al yeah. Green doing Beatles songs and like people sort of, and it, like, it was just kind of like the idea of the cover that was just like, Oh, I mean, and I think it was probably in some ways it was, you know, it was a, a, cre- a sort of a, this was a phenomenon created by like segregation of the charts in a way that like you would sort there were different places that you could chart with something depending on like who recorded it. And so it's like, it was, it was different then, but I miss that aspect where there was things that like, you know, like we're like, like Jimi Hendrix recording like Sergeant Peppers, you know, or like play right. like, and that, that becoming part of his repertoire or something like that and not worrying about like, Oh, you're trying to, you know, so I'd like, I, I wish that was like more of a thing, you know, I wish like but. it was, but doesn't this sort of get back to our Travis problem? Like, doesn't this get us into some universe of our of our Travis covering Britney Spears problem? Well, it's like it's intentional. Though. It's intentionality, I guess, is what I'm what I'm thinking about. Like, and the thing mm-hmm. that bothers me about the Travis thing, I don't like an ironic cover. The thing I like about this Ryan Adams thing is that he's not. You know, he is it, there's he legitimately thinks that these are good songs and is recording them as if they are good songs that he just wants to do right in, in his style. So I'm kind of making two arguments because I'm like people that do it, people who do it. are I'm just like Travis, uh, you know, like I'm not a, I'm not on a, on team Travis. So I'm just, I, 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 I yeah, judge I mean, their intentions. But um, yeah, it's 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 because there's a whole like all of these phenomena of like, you know, the kind of like slow, sad you know, uh, you know, ethereal ballad version of something that's like, you know, cause then you just, you're, eventually you're getting into like, you know, here's a version of California dreaming for the, the werewolf movie starring Neil Young and Ryan yeah. Reynolds, like, yeah. you know, or whatever it is. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, okay. So here's a good one. Remember that soul asylum cover of Marvin Gaye's, uh, sexual healing. I, I do. I believe that is on, uh, is that on no alternative, no alternative. Yeah. yeah. That is that is a perfect cover to me. Like it is, it it honors the hotness of the original song, but does it in the voice and the tenor of the artist doing it, um, and also manages to be real. I mean, I don't know. There's a way to do these covers so that they make sense both to the artist doing them, and you, you kind of understand what what drew the person to the song. I, the the Travis thing remains a paradigm for probably for both of us because it seems so unnecessary and it seemed to be in in the eyes of the people who thought that was a great idea um some sort of legitimization of Britney Spears as some sort of artist 
Yeah, um, I mean, I just I think it was just which, hard to imagine Travis actually. I don't know, you know, those guys, what's whatever, Fran Healy or you know, Travis. It's hard to imagine that like them not doing it as as a goof to some extent. And I right. think it was just it just it felt it felt mean spirited or it sort of you look and it just it feels cheap in some way. But then the, I mean, there's a lot of really good examples. Like I really like like anytime. I think there has to be some you have to really have the sense that the artist has a personal relationship with the song in some way that it's not just like it would be crazy if we covered this song. So right. like there's something about like when Greg Dooley or the Afghan wigs have done oh, amazing creep. things with like, yeah, creep is great. Like they've done amazing, like their sort their soul covers, but yeah, they do a version, the, the version of creep by TLC is incredible. Like there's a, like a lot of really good stuff. And like, they've sort, you know, with, uh, I forget if they do bad religion. Like they've been, there's a Frank ocean song that they do live. I don't know if they mm. ever recorded it, but they're just, you can just tell that that's what Greg Dooley is listening to. In his off hours, he's not listening to other stuff that sounds like the Afghan wigs necessarily or like that's less of his, you know, what his diet is about. And like it's just these are just, you know, these he actually likes these things. But, yeah, I'm just not into anything that's getting into that, you know, the territory of like, hey, it's a country version of gin and juice. Like, uh, you know, miss me with that. Right. <laughs> you know what? Look I'm- out, Luke Bryan. If you've got any ideas, don't do it. Yeah. If you, if you have any ideas, don't do them, Luke Bryan. Just don't do any of your ideas. Just, just um, keep them. But anyway, I'm 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 happy that this exists. I'm I'm glad it happened. Uh, it's interesting and really really pretty to listen to. I think you know his recording of it in like whatever high fidelity situation he did it kind of it does toward their. I think clean is the last song on on, mm-hmm. on both records. Obviously. Um, and it's hard to sort of make out the lyrics because it's you know, it sounds like everything was sort of done in the same everything is sort of operating on the same plane and so he like the the bass and the guitar and the drums are all up front and this is I've listened to it in three different sets of speakers now yeah um, I still his his vocals are way in the back I still can't make out he changes the in in uh, in style. Oh. He changes it to the first that that the, it's like instead of James Dean whatever the the red lipstick James Dean whatever thing. It, he's, he's like she, you've got that daydream nation look in your eye, which is a great Ryan Adamsization of that part. But I don't know what the next thing he says is like oh. the th- like I don't. I, there's something I I made it. I think it's a, I think he says Bilderberg. I think he's like you've got that Bilderberg group look. <laughs> So that was, I choose to believe that that's what it is. I'm shocked that in recording uh, blank space that he didn't find a way to alleviate your stress about whether she's saying Starbucks lovers or not, because (laughs) at least I, I mean, I know what the line, I know what the lyric is supposed to be. It's supposed to be got a long list of ex lovers, but the way, I mean, you know, everybody it's, it's kind of a, a thing now. Like we all, like there are many, there's a, there's a, a race of people out there who think she's saying Starbucks lovers. I am, I am a member of that race. And so I was eager to hear if he either heard it the way a lot of us hear that line and corrected it or whether he just sort of went ahead and did it the way she does it. And at least the first chorus the first time he does the chorus, it is Starbucks lovers. <laughs> it just comes out. Uh, th- it's weird too because uh, if you go on YouTube, there is also 
and I'm not going to really make a case for this musically, although the guitar solo at the end is dope. But um, Stephen Malkmus and the Jicks did a benefit show earlier this year for uh, sick kids, uh, kids with cancer mm. and uh, other uh, you know serious illnesses. And at the request of his uh, daughter, she's not sick. She just is a Taylor Swift fan. Uh, uh, Malkmus did at this show for all these kids. Um, uh, she, he did Blank Space with the band he's clearly not off book he's like reading like he's, you can see when he's like looking down oh interesting the in front of him but there's something about because he's Stephen Malkmus like he does not he will not slur the Starbucks thing he will so it's actually the best delivered line in the song because he's <laughs> you know does it in some very Malkmusy and kind of like you know a long list of ex-lovers like he very much like gets the you know he, he really pronounces it correctly to land okay. that so that to make it happen. So he, he found the way around it. And then there's a really nice sort of, uh, you know, pavement esque guitar solo at the end. It's not really a great version of this song. It's not, I wanted to be that guy yesterday listening to the Ryan Adams thing where I was like, Oh, but this like, you know, points to the smaller one bracket, but no, I can't really on Twitter. Right. I didn't, I didn't do it cause it's not really better, but, um, I will say, I think that your idea about like the Supremes covering Joni Mitchell and like Stevie Wonder covering the Beatles, I think that's really, I think that has to come back. And it can't be like, and it can't be that Jimmy Fallon's lip sync situation on his show is the substitute for that. Like, no. I would really love to hear like interpretations. I mean, cause Taylor, I wonder if this is the thing, like, I wonder if it's that her, because she's a lyricist, she's interpretable. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. As like, I mean, taking a pop song and if, I mean, we could maybe do this like some other, like next week or something. Like we could go down a list of like the top 10 songs on the pop chart right now and see how much like structure and lyric good, you know, strong lyrics are in the song and how much of it owes to like just amazing production. Yeah, I mean, um, not in a negative, like, I don't, and you know, amazing This production. is not a knock against, like, great production. It's just the thing about Taylor Swift is that you, the thing that kind of kept an asterisk next to this record for me has, which is that, you know, you kind of, the the excellence of some of the lyrics on this record are obscured by how amazing a few of the, of the production around those lyrics is. Um and so I'd be really, I don't know. I'd be curious to, I would like to start seeing more people cover other people's songs. I mean, this is not to say that I need Taylor Swift to do watch me. <laughs> no, but it's, yeah, no, I know. I know what you mean. Like there's that gets that, into our Travis problem. Yeah, I don't. Okay. It's like, I don't want, I think with the, like, okay. I mean, the, the two examples that I cited, you know, the Supremes example covering Joni Mitchell, covering the Beatles or, you know, it's not, that's not about. I mean, that that's not somebody saying like this is actually a good this song from a genre that you think is 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 not serious or not serious is the wrong word is unsophisticated. Oh, that's the thing. There's a there's a there's a class jump aspect to mm -hmm, some of these mm -hmm. some of these covers where it's like I'm going to do it, you know, and then it's, I'm going to reveal to you that it's actually a good song, even though you I'm going to turn it into real music, listening right. to it. I'm going to turn it into real music, right? And claim you know this song for real music, and it makes me sort of hate you know, real music and everything. So I have a recent example of this. It was a song that everybody did. Everybody did when it was, when it was like, even after it was popular and it was crazy. 
Yes. That was a song that everybody wanted to sing for at least two years. You every concert you go to, whether it was I mean, it didn't matter who the artist was or what their what music they normally do, everybody wanted to sing crazy. Um, that's the last song I can think of that had that kind of effect on people of of, you know, that class of artist. Yeah, where it was just um, everybody wanted to sort of try their luck with that song. And I like that idea. I like that thing of like, you know, I mean, and I guess that's it's it's partly a relic of, you know, just sort of there being professional songwriters who wrote for people who wrote for singers and artists who were not necessarily songwriters. You know, it's like I think it's from, like it may be a relic of the of the divide between singer and songwriter that we almost, you know, we we don't really recognize it anymore and we and it's all it's almost like when we're we we freak out when we find out that somebody didn't write their own songs you know there's that you know right right no i mean it's it's interesting right like i mean you know taylor swift frequently compared to you know Joni mitchell and carly simon and carol king as you know a you know a great songwriter in the classic you know in the classic 70s mold right um or something like that, where like you know she cares as much about the the architecture of a song as as anybody you know as more than she cares more than the average recording artist um and you know, I think that one of the things that this Ryan Adams experiment brings out is how much that is true um I don't think you needed this album to know that to be true, but i mean it's it's proof. I think the only way that that proof really works is when other people, when the songs become part of a canon or a cycle and in the way that the Beatles music did and then the way that like, you know, other artists music, you know, Aretha Franklin's the music sort of became or the stuff that different people wrote, I mean, including Aretha Franklin's songs that she wrote herself, like became part of this American pop cycle that people just love to sing because they're, if you're a singer or you're a musician, they're just really fun to sing and play. Yeah. Um, so I think that's going to do it for us. Which, which song should we go out on? Which, which uh, Ryan Adams song? Which Ryan Adams, T-Swift, I'm, Jam? I'm partial to, to take it off. I think that's you. <laughs> I, think, I No, okay. I think, actually, no. I think, uh, I'm into, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm with that. I'm, I'm with, I'm going with Shake It Off. I'm okay. okay with, I'm okay with shake it off. I was I was I thought he might skip it, but then I feel like he he can't skip it. It completely defeats the purpose of the project. But I like his way. I like his his solution to the problem of how you do that song. No, it's like when the the dirty projectors did uh, uh, the Rise Above by Black Flag and they left off TV Party. You can't you can't leave it. You can't. You, you, mm. you, it, it would it would change the either way. It changes the whole dimension. Right. Right. Um, all right. Well, that's a show. We'll be back uh, next week. And uh, Joe Fuentes, thank you. Jim Cunningham, thank you. David, Kobe, thank you. Alex, thank you a lot. Uh, and we'll be, uh, be back next week. Thank you for listening to Grantland. To hear more Grantland shows in your earballs, subscribe to Grantland Sports and Grantland Pop Culture on iTunes. Or go to grantland.com and click on Podcasts.